Always good to be up here. You have some of the best Arab restaurants in the state of New Jersey. Hopefully we'll get to one right after the service. <laughs> uh, I do thank you for your faithful support, prayers, finances. Uh, my wife and I now live in southern Ocean County, and, uh, you know, when time allows, we get back over to the Middle East. Uh, but by living there for so many years, we have faithful partners in ministry. And so we raise funds for them and then go over and, you know, help them from time to time. Um, and we were real excited. Our, our work up in Iraq is in a place where the Christians are uh, nominal citizens at best. And uh, they have a hard time up there being Christians in a Muslim area as well as a Kurdish area. Um, so we help out there. And uh, last year we had the idea, there's a little school there, um, that we had this idea to give a scholarship if anybody would study hard and want to go on, uh, like for medical issues especially, or farming, because it's a big farming area. And the ministry that we have is among six villages, and the closest doctor is over an hour away. So we were really excited when this girl said, well, I think I could make it for that scholarship. I want to be a doctor. And uh, she just finished her first year and got straight A's all the way through. So we're excited about that. So. Now I'm going to put in a plea for help, uh, not finances. I mean, if you want to give, that's, that's fine. But um, we also take medical teams into the Middle East to help the refugees from ISIS. Yeah, it's still going on. ISIS is still there. They're still fighting in Syria and people fleeing. Um, so, you know, if you're uh, a medical professional in any way, shape, or form, and more importantly, if you love Jesus, because that's the most important. When we do medical trips, we pray for all the patients, uh, Muslims, uh, most of them are Muslim. But uh, on our last trip, uh, Calvary Chapel Magazine asked if they could go with us. And that was a, like, ew, I don't, I, you know, how do you talk to somebody about Jesus or some guy with a, you know, big Canon camera facing you? I didn't want to do that. Uh, but then we realized by being in their magazine, it would reach over a thousand Calvary chapels. So I brought a few copies in the back. This is what it looks like. They did a nice big spread on us inside there. And, um, so, you know, avail yourself to it or fight over it. There's only about six copies. So. <laughs> but God is so good. Now, when I knew I was coming to North Jersey, being a South Jersey guy, I was raised in South Jersey. And I don't know if you people up here know it, but there was a time when we tried to secede from North Jersey. We've read a true, true statement. And uh, so I thought, well, what should I talk to you about? And I thought, well, obviously sin. You know, I mean, you're North Jersey. So, uh, so if you're a note taker, the message is entitled, What If I Stumble? And um, you may recall many years ago a band called DC Talk, and they had this song, What If I Stumble? What If I Fall? What If I Make Fools of Us All? Uh, so that's what it's about. Um, you know, that song began with a quote from Brennan Manning. And I don't know if you've ever read the Ragamuffin Gospel, but Brennan Manning is a 
Or you might call him a failed priest. He was a Catholic priest, became an alcoholic, left the priesthood, got married, marriage ended. Uh, and at the end of all that, God began to speak to his heart about the fact that God loves us no matter or despite our failures. And that's really the message today. But Manning said this, he, he said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and um, deny him by their lifestyle. This is what the world simply finds unbelievable. That's a sobering thought. Are we giving him lip service and then walking out and acting like the rest of them out there? Or has Christ really entered our hearts and changed us? That there's some distinction with us in the workplace, in the way our marriages are, in the way we do business. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And we know from your word, your precious word, that we love because you first loved us. You saw us just the way we were. And for some amazing reason, you said, I want that one. I want that man, that woman, to be my child. And so you loved us and reached out to us. So today I ask you to continue reaching out to us, touch our hearts, open our hearts, that we might, in fact, uh, walk out of here renewed, refreshed, and bold with your love to reach this crazy world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you'd open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, um, I'll tell you a story while you're doing that. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, I got saved back in the 70s. Uh, at the time, I really enjoyed rock music and all that sort of thing. And one of my favorites was Bob Dylan. And in 1978, I was, like I said, a new Christian. Uh, it came out in the press that Bob Dylan had given his heart to Jesus. Bob Dylan got saved. He even made an album called Saved. And, uh, you know, so I was pretty excited about it. And, you know, I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, this is so cool. Bob Dylan got saved. This is, this is going to be wonderful for the church and the kingdom because uh, people that like Bob Dylan will now like Jesus, you know. And he just looked at me like, oh, here we go again, you know. And he said this to me. He said, let me ask you a question. What are you going to do if Bob Dylan falls? I thought that was an odd question. And then he said, and by the way, what are you going to do if I fall? Because I'm a human too. And he said, people can fall into sin and fall away from the Lord. He said, listen, son, keep your eyes on Jesus. I guarantee you, he will never fail you. Amen? Good words. And he was teaching me an important lesson. People do stumble. People do fall. Even the most solid Christians can get caught up or distracted or whatever and, and kind of get off the path. That happened um, many times in the Bible. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again, none of us are exempt from failure. None of us are exempt from temptation and actually falling into it. Uh, consider a couple of verses. Proverbs 20, verse 9, asks this question. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? Who can say that? Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, Solomon declares, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 
Paul said much the same in one that you may know by heart, uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And John adds this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, a liar, and his word is not in us. We're all vulnerable. Paul actually warns us in Corinthians, I believe it is, not to be judging other people. He said, be careful that you also don't slip into the same thing that you're seeing. Isn't it amazing, you know? Um, you know, Jesus pointed this out when he, he talked about having a splinter in your eye and a log in my eye. Why did he say that? Because the things that tempt us and we struggle with, we see very clearly in other people. And it may only be a splinter for them, but for us it's a log. So we have to mind ourselves uh, and with the Lord's help. Here in Galatians... Peter is the one stumbling. Now, this is Peter, right? I mean, he's the guy. He loves the Lord. He's traveled with him day after day. We learn so much from him. But here in Galatians, Paul's writing about a day that wasn't so good for Peter. If you look at verse 9 with me. I know I brought these for a reason. All right, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, When James, Cephas, meaning Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that They were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You know, an old uh, Christian friend of mine told me the definition of justified is that Jesus looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. That's how the Lord sees you, even though you may see yourself differently. Well, here's Peter a Christian with a Jewish background. And according to the text, he was initially fellowshipping with uh, Gentiles. Now, that was against the rules in Judaism. And, uh, you know, they weren't allowed to enter the house of a Jew. They weren't allowed to eat with a non-Jew. Um, you know, they, they had all these rules. In fact, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, it's interesting. 
before they went up to the temple, there were these bath places. They were pretty much holes in the ground, you know, but they would lower themselves in and wash themselves off for fear by touching a woman, a dog, or a Gentile. They would be uh, ceremonially unclean and couldn't even offer worship to the Lord. It was a very strict outfit. And, uh, you know, it, it's still like that uh, with the Orthodox today. Uh, down in Ocean County, there's a town called Lakewood. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's one of the largest uh, areas of Hasidic Jews. And I had a job one time where I would go to Lakewood once a day. And one day I got really hungry and I decided to get, go around the corner to a store. And as I was going into the local store, an Orthodox Jew was coming out. Now, we both have one of these. He had a real big one, okay? <laughs> so as I'm coming in the door, he sees me and he goes, ah, 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 and he kind of sucked that up as best he could. Why? Because if he touched me, he'd be ceremonially unclean. Now, I'm a sinner by nature. I just wanted to go, you know, and touch him, you know. But the Holy Spirit gave me a little self-control. If you study your Bible, you know these folks are called Judaizers. They clung to Old Testament religious rules of separation. And, you know, that kind of goes against the grain of being a Christian because we're told to go out into the world, right? Make disciples of all people. The Judaizers, however, insisted that Gentiles become circumcised before being considered a Christian. Uh, Frankly, I think they were more like the Taliban than the Son of Man. Okay, Taliban boys, they got a lot of rules and regulations about being holy before God. So when these folks showed up in Antioch, Peter was already there and he caved in. There was a pressure, you might say. Um, You know, oh, look, here come the good guys and I'm with these guys and maybe I'd better change what I'm doing. That always hurts somebody, doesn't it? You know, you might be pleasing one group, but there'll be another group that you're going to displease. Um, It it was sin, is what it was. And, um, you know, I've been walking with the Lord now since 1975. I've sinned a few times along the way. But being a pastor, you you see a lot of sin. People come to you, they want you to pray with them and help them out. And uh, there are some people that have the idea that sin can be personal and private And it doesn't affect anybody else. I I want you to get that thought as far away from your head as you can. To me, sin is is like taking a rock and throwing it into a pond. There's ripples. My sin, even if it's private and hidden, it somehow affects all the relationships around me. Especially my relationship with him. Remember when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife and, you know, she was after this young guy and... What did he say to her? He said, hey, honey, it's not about you. If I do this with you, I'll be sinning against him. And we need to keep that in perspective. So, sin. What happened here? Why did Peter stumble? Well, the first thing we saw was in verse 12. It said he feared people. And obviously he feared people more than he feared God. That's evidenced by him trying to please people rather than please God. That's a trap, isn't it? We all fall into that one from time to time. You know, the world, a lot of the world, they call us Christians haters because we talk about 
the things we don't like, the sin that we see in the world, the things that are troubling us, how the, you know, the, well, pardon the expression, but how America's going to hell on a handbasket. We see it because we know the Lord and we know his word and we have a moral uh, compass, if you will. But they, they see us as haters. I hope you don't hate anybody. What I would like you to hate is sin. When I was a young Christian, they taught us, hate the sin, love the sinner. That's not so easy, is it? You know? uh, but Jesus did it, and if he did it, I think he would give us the power to do it as well. So how do we fall into sin? Like Peter, fearing people more than fearing God. In the opening verses of Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul asks a question. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, you know the deal. You know all about the wokeisms and all that are, that are going on. You don't have to go along with that. But somehow we got to love them through it. And I don't know about you guys, but that is a big, big challenge to me. Lord, how do I love those that hate me? We got a glimpse of that in the Middle East, you know, but it um, wasn't as bad as being here in America, I'll tell you that. Everybody always asks me, aren't you afraid in the Middle East? I'm like, no. But don't ask me to go to Passaic. <laughs> uh, I never say that. I say Chicago or L.A. or, you know, Passaic's okay. There's sinners up there, but they're okay. Can't please all the people all the time, and in doing so, fearing people, it, it knocks us out of our relationship with God. And Peter knew better. It's not like we don't know it, right? I mean, you know, there's two types of sin. There's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. A commission, a sin of commission is, I'm going to do it no matter what, you know. And the sin of omission is, ah, I probably should act a little differently here, but eh, and I don't do it, you know. It's like sin and trespasses. The Bible often keeps those together. There is a slight difference. A trespass is seeing the sign that says no trespassing and stepping into that field or that yard or that whatever just because you want to. That's trespassing. Sin is missing the mark. Sin actually is like, hey, I really, really tried, but I missed. You see the difference? One says, I don't care what, I'm going to do it. The other is like, I'm really trying, Lord, help me out. Uh, Failed again. Aren't you glad that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? See, you fail, you fall, you stumble. And it's the Holy Spirit that's saying, hey, you know, you kind of messed up there. Come on back. And he woos us back to that wonderful path of righteousness that God has set before us. So, he's sinning, Peter is, and he knew better. In Acts chapter 10, if you get a chance to read it, maybe later today, you'll see that Peter had a special revelation from God that it was okay to be with Gentiles, that God was doing something new. He was bringing all people into his church. And in Acts 10, verse 27, Peter actually said to a large group of people, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God, don't you love those two words? 
No matter what your situation, you're all freaked out. But God, he knows better. So he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So Peter knew what was going on. And I would say this too. uh, Whenever we look down on someone else, uh, there's only one reason to look down on someone. It's to reach down and give them a hand up. That's the only reason. Okay, But if we look down like we're better than them, we refuse to love them, that is also sin. And again, I'll repeat it to you. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. That's our job this week, okay? Not easy. But you may recall Jesus did it. And what was he called for doing that? He was called a friend of sinners. Boy, how do you work that one out? What's it like to be a friend of sinners? When I was first in seminary, I I had a lot of mission courses. um, And I'll never forget, they showed us a design. And it looked like a, a tack. You know what a tack, it has a flat bottom, you could push your thumb, and, and then there's that skinny point goes into the bulletin board. Are you with me? You understand? Well, they showed this a design, it looked like a tack, and it said, down here is, is a new Christian with all these friends that don't know the Lord. And when we first got saved, the majority of our friends were non-Christians, right? And that, but then the tack goes up to this tiny little point. And the professor said, well, that's a Christian about 10 years into it. We forget all of our non-Christian friends. We don't, we're not a friend of sinners. Are, are you following me on that? I, I should have a drawing thing here. But um, how about you? Do you have non-Christian friends? And can you call them friends? Interesting. We tend to be homogenized. That is one reason I like coming up here into this church. I can see you're not homogenized. You know, you don't all look the same. In South Jersey, we all look the same. Okay. There's a lot of sinners in South Jersey. Um, Anyway, we don't look down on people because then we'll fall into sin. And and we know ourselves that God isn't like that because in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we learn that it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance. I didn't want to go to an angry God. When I was a kid, I actually grew up in a Methodist church, if you will. And I hated it because there was this big, angry God that he was just waiting to whack me, you know, for all the naughty things I did. And then I went to a church where they said, oh, no, no, God loves you. What do you th- God's not like that. God loves you a lot, and it's okay. Never look down on people. Sue and I were farming for a while um, when we came home from the Middle East. We had to do something to make some money. And, um, so we have a little farm, and we were going to farm markets. And... Not all farmers are like the Waltons, you know what I mean? Like, there's some, there's some pretty crash farmers out there. I was hearing words I hadn't heard in the church in a long time, you know. And uh, there was this one particular gal, and um, she dressed in such a way that even though, like, she'd be standing in front of me, I'd be looking over here as I talked to her, because I didn't want to see what she was displaying, you know what I mean? You, you all just judged me right there, didn't you? Anyway, so... One day, I said, hey, how you doing? You know, I was going past her little booth. I was going to get some coffee. How you doing? She said, actually, I'm, I'm really feeling sick. And I said, oh, that's a shame. Do you mind if I tell Sue? And she said, yeah, yeah, please do. I really feel sick. I'm thinking about going home. Susan goes over to her and starts talking to her. 
This is a lady that was about, I don't know, early to mid-40s. Sue said, you know, sometimes when we pray for one another, God heals. He answers the prayer and he heals. There's no guarantee of that, but, but would you mind if I prayed for you to get better, that God would touch you and heal you? And she said, well, oh, yeah, okay. And So, you know, right there in the parking lot, Susan does what Christians do. She laid her hands on her, uh, on this gal and, and prayed for her. And when she finished, the woman was crying. And Sue said, gee, I'm, I'm sorry, did, did I offend you? And she said, no, it's just that nobody's ever prayed for me in my entire life. Think about that. How old did I say she was? Early to mid-40s? Nobody ever prayed for her? In this room, it's different. Look at all those little kids that ran out. People are praying for them. People are loving them. They're going to have a whole different outlook on life. What's it like to go through life that nobody ever took the time to pray for you? Oh, I don't know why I'm telling you that. I better get back. Peter, he failed. He fell because he was fearing people, and he began looking down on other people. Paul called that hypocrisy, and that's another way we stumble, through hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is rooted in fear and insecurity. Um, He said that around verse 14. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? It was hypocrisy. He's calling him out. John Piper said this about hypocrisy and fear and insecurity. He said, when you feel insecure or frightened and are tempted to put up a front and avoid taking a stand for what you believe is right. The battle you are fighting is a battle to believe God. The gospel tells us that the death of Christ assures us of God's love. And so it gives us deep root and stability and security in our lives. But more than that, the sheer beauty of Christ's resolve to suffer for me instead of putting up a front to save his own skin. Well, that shames me in my fear of man and my inclination to play the hypocrite in order to avoid suffering. Center your life on Jesus and his gospel and the root of hypocrisy will be severed. My friends, we have entered into a time when they will mock you and call you names. You might even lose your job. Trust in God is all I can tell you. God that created a a wonderful universe. You know, if you get fired, you you don't think that God that created the universe can't get you another job? And if he can't, go see Tim. He'll feed you, you know. (laughs) Church does that, doesn't it? You know, you help people. Anyway, third reason Peter fell. Um, It was the fear and the hypocrisy. But they were symptoms of his real struggle, which was legalism. Legalism is the belief that to be saved and justified requires adherence to external sets of rules. We know that we're saved by faith in Christ alone. We're saved by faith. That's salvation, right? We ask him into our heart. After that comes something called sanctification in which we work with God to clean up that dirty guy that he just saved. You know, we, we do that with him and it's a wonderful process. Uh, But it's also where we have our challenges uh, throughout life. Peter was into legalism. 
I would say this, if you ever have to leave this church for whatever reason, or maybe you're on the internet listening to some Bible teacher, whenever you hear Jesus and as a need for salvation, run away. That's a cult. Jesus and. I mean, Islam is nothing but and, and, and. There's so many rules over there. And in many churches and and certainly cults, they always want to add something to it. Uh, All you need is Jesus. You have him. You have his inerrant word, the Bible. You can cling to that. Um, Yeah. You know, in in the Middle East, you know, living among Muslims, there there wasn't a whole lot of grace. They had no idea about the gospel of grace. In fact, in the Quran, it says over 17 times, there's 17 examples of how to take revenge on your enemies. But not once does it ever say to love your neighbor. Not once does it say God is love. You know, God is is a, 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 a harsh master. And you are a slave. That's, that's their whole theology in a nutshell. Um, but we needed to share the Lord with them. They got some bad rules. Boy, over in Saudi, which was our neighbor in Bahrain, if a woman went out in the street without a man accompanying her, she could get whacked with a stick. They had these moral police. If your hair fell out of your hijab and they saw it, they could whack you with a stick if you didn't cover it up. Uh, up until very recently, women weren't even allowed to drive cars. It was some kind of crazy society over there. But I tell you this, when the moral police aren't looking around, there's an awful lot of Christians in Saudi Arabia today, and they're sharing the grace of God. There's so many churches, secret churches. We were fortunate, the king of Bahrain, he, he liked Christians, so he took care of us over there. But I knew a guy, uh, a priest actually, uh, that was friends with the king, and this priest had other priests in Saudi Arabia, he had to minister to them. You know, the king of Bahrain actually gave that man citizenship so he could get in and out of Saudi Arabia to minister to people. I, I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how do we do this? How do we not kill grace? How do we not fall into legalism? That's a real challenge for churches. Uh, I get the opportunity to speak in a lot of churches and get to know people. And there's a lot of rules and regulations in churches, too. Uh, you want to be real careful of that. Uh, I probably said this here before, but I, I just thought it was so amazing. Our church in Bahrain, I was privileged to be the pastor of an evangelical church there. In the seven years that I did that, I counted people from 70 different nations. That's one reason I like coming here, because I, you know, there's some background out here which is really cool, which you don't see in South Jersey. But 70 different nations, and only the Lord knows how many denominations, and we all came together for two reasons. We spoke English, and we wanted to worship Jesus. That was it, okay? Well, how do you keep that together? The elders and I chanced across a saying by Augustine, and he said this, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity, which means love. So the essentials are things like, you know, your basic things you'd find in the Apostles' Creed, you know, the the divinity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the cross, those sort of things. You have to believe certain things to be a Christian. You do. 
But there's a whole lot of gray out there in the churches that we need to have a little bit of liberty with one another. Is that okay if I say that here? Okay. You can't expect everybody to be as good looking as me, you know? I mean, you just got to give that up. When they come through the door, ah, it's okay. He's not, nah, he's not perfect, but let him in, you know? That's the way we need to be with one another. In all things charity, love them. I, get, I need to move on. So we adopted that motto, and you know what? In seven years, we had two problems, if you will, people problems in the whole church, and they were quickly resolved. That's amazing. According to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, love is the litmus test of whether or not we are Christians. John writes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's the litmus test. I don't think they do litmus tests anymore in school. I'm old. But the only way anybody will ever know if you're a Christian is if you have love in your heart and you share that love with others. Not easy to do. So let's consider what we do when, when someone in the church does fall and stumble. Just for a minute. How do we confront sinful behavior? Because it needs to be confronted. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul will write at the end of this letter, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay? And if you're a leader in this fellowship, uh, may I remind you, a faint heart never won a fair lady. You've got to be tough, guys. Okay? Because sometimes it comes in. And this is the problem. Had a nice conversation about the way the church is going these days. It's in the churches. How do you stop that? How do you confront that? So hopefully it won't be here, but what do you do? You have to confront it. However, we have to be careful not to make the situation worse. A lot of times you'll hear this saying, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You know? And I always say, if you're really concerned about someone's sin, intercede before you interfere. Are you praying for that person? That should be the first thing we do. When we see a brother or sister is in sin, we ought to be handing that up to the Lord. Because the Lord doesn't really need our help, you know. He could change them. And as we intercede for them, you know, you read the letter of James, he'll talk about how the prayers of a righteous man can change much, and it's, it's about us. Intercede before you interfere. Pray. It goes a long way. Act. I actually had an assistant years ago, and I know he's with the Lord today. Uh, his name was Ed, and he came to me one time. He said, I really need to sit with you and have a chat. And I knew something was coming. <laughs> but I also knew Ed loved me very much. 
And so he came to me and he said, when you were preaching, you started saying things against Catholicism. He said, you didn't know it, but there was a new family in church that week, and they, they were Catholics. And one of their relatives brought them to hear the gospel being preached, and you went up there and said nasty things about Catholicism. He said, you know, in order to promote what you have, you don't have to demote or step on other uh, people. Just preach Christ. I could receive that because I knew he loved me. Now, there are other people in churches might have an agenda and, you know, they want your job or whatever. You know, you kind of, you know, listen with a bit of skepticism. But to go to someone and to love them, to pray for them, and then you see them fall and to go to them with a humble heart and say, hey, bro, you know, we listen to that, right? Okay. So, again, we don't correct people. Uh, with an air of superiority. We don't do that. Uh, Paul wrote about that, having that better-than-now attitude, very ugly thing. Uh, and he warned us in 1 Corinthians ten twelve. so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And you know this one, Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And you know, when we do see sin in people, if you want to get involved with that, the, the goal is restoration. We want to see a good outcome. We don't, oh, you're in sin, man. Turn over. I want to, I want to give you the hand of fellowship here, <laughs> you know. They actually taught us that in seminary. They said, hey, fellas, there's two ways you can lay hands on people. You can bless them or you can give them the heave-ho. Uh, that's not the goal when you see someone in sin. This, the the goal is to bless them and restore them to a right relationship. And you know, it's interesting. Um, that's actually what happened with Peter and Paul. If you read Peter's letters, he's going to talk about Paul and this fellowship that they have and how, yeah, Paul writes some pretty difficult, challenging verses, but they're scripture, Peter says. They're the word of God coming through Paul. It's just amazing. Um, let me read it to you. It's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. That's our goal. You know, we want to be like Jesus. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Hear what he's saying? That's our friend Paul. He writes some tough stuff, but it's scripture. Our beloved friend. It's a wonderful thing. Well, so let's consider here one more thing before we go. What if we are Peter in the story? You know, when I first got saved, I was always the good guy in the Bible, you know. Then I started reading it as if I was the Pharisee. I learned more that way. So what if we were Peter? What if we stumbled? What if we fell? Uh, and it is a sad assessment, but we do stumble from time to time. And please never, never, never say, oh, it's just a little sin. It's just a white lie. Let me tell you something. A lie is a lie is a lie, okay? Uh, 
we tend to minimize our own sins, don't we? We don't want to get it out there. Oh, it's nothing, you know. It was just a momentary setback. Well, sin is costly. Sin is destructive. Sin ruins our relationships with the people around us. Uh, And perhaps you've heard this old but true saying, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you'll ever want to pay. That's sin. So... What if we're Peter? First of all, we need to understand how sin works. Sin starts with temptation. It gets its power by persuading us to believe that we'll be happier if we do this thing, that it's going to make us feel better, our life is going to be better. Don't resist it. It's good, you know. And honestly, is sin not, is there, is there not some reward, some pleasure that you're going to get by doing that sin? Now, the problem with that is it's temporary, It's true, yeah, it's going to feel good. However, there's tomorrow morning, okay? And then you're going to see how not good it is. Uh, A moment's pleasure is never worth long-term pain. you got to stop and take a good look at it. Um, You know, many, many years ago, I think it was my pastor, and he said, listen, when you're tempted... He said, pretend it's a movie. Pretend there's a movie camera in the back of your head and watch the movie. Play it through all the way. Now, I'm a guy. I'm a married guy, okay, and I'm a pastor. Let's just make one up here. Okay, some woman is tempting me to commit adultery, okay? All right, I've got to play this through all the way. Oh, it's nice. The lady's saying nice things about me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, and you can see yourself. Okay, you did your thing, you had your pleasure, but then tomorrow morning comes. What happens when my adultery would be found out as a married man, a father, and a pastor? Play that movie through the end before you take the first step, because you know what would happen? I would lose my wife, and let me tell you, she's a country girl, and boy, can she shoot. (laughs) Amen. We're getting older. I'm counting on her shaking if I do fall into sin, you know. Uh, I would lose my wife, okay? I might lose my life. I would certainly, my kids would be really ticked off at me because they like having mom and dad together. And the woman that I committed adultery with, I just lost my job because the pastors aren't allowed to be adulterers, so now I don't have any money. What's she going to get out of the deal? An old, fat, wrinkled man with no money. She should play the tape through all the way. But do you get the idea? Whatever your temptation is, play that thing through to the end and see where it leads you. A moment's pleasure is never worth long-term pain. Secondly, understand that when God, excuse me, when we sin, God doesn't want to punish us. He wants to rescue us. That's what he's all about. Chuck Smith asked a bunch of pastors years ago, he said, are you guys, do you, do you see yourselves as policemen or as ambulance workers? What's your church all about? Listen to this story, true story. In 1981, a radio station reported a story about a stolen car in California. Police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, even to the point of placing announcements on local radio stations to contact and speak with the thief. 
You see, on the front seat of the stolen car sat a box of crackers that, unknown to the thief, were laced with poison. The car owner had intended to use these crackers as rat bait. The police were more interested in catching the thief to save his life than to recover the car. I submit to you for your consideration, that is God. He wants to rescue us, not beat the snot out of us. That's how I grew up. That was my image of God. Thank, thank God for churches that teach the truth about God, about his love. He wants to rescue you. Stop fighting him. Third, if you have fallen into sin, understand something. Your past does not disqualify you from being with him again and serving with him. Uh, it doesn't disqualify you for your future. Peter learned that lesson in Antioch. He got a good slap down that day, and he needed it, I'm sure. But he changed his attitude toward legalism. He learned to, to truly love Gentiles. You know, Peter dies in Rome, basically a Gentile city. He was there ministering to Gentiles. It's a wonderful change that you see come over him as you read his letters. You know, I've, he, he learned his lesson, right? I once heard someone say that the difference between school and life is this. In school, we learn our lessons, then we take our test. In life, we get tested, then we learn our lesson. Well, Peter's life wasn't over. His ministry wasn't over. He learned that despite the mess he'd made, God's plans weren't over. And it reminds me of a story, and I'll end with this story. This is another true story. Um, it's about a fellow named Roy Regals. Roy Regals. In 1929, Roy Regals was an all-American center for the football team of the Golden Bears of UC Berkeley. That year, they played Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl, and during that game, Roy became known as Wrong Way Roy. Toward the end of the first half, a Tech player fumbled the ball. Roy seized the opportunity. He picked up the ball, and he headed for the goalpost, 65 yards away. Only one problem. Roy was going in the wrong direction. Fortunately, one of Roy's teammates took off in pursuit of Wrong Way Roy, and he tackled him just before he crossed the goal line. Well, you can imagine his embarrassment. He got back to the locker room. He cried like a baby. Thought he was finished with football forever. Who would ever have him on the team? But the coach put him back in the game. Roy objected. He said, Coach, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined the university. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd to save my life. The coach reached out his hand, grabbed Roy to pick him up. He said, Roy, get up and go back on. The game is only half over. My friends, we're all like, wrong way, Roy. And I would tell you this from, the, from heaven itself. The game's not over. The game's not over. If you've fallen, if you've sinned, do what you can to repent, make things right. Get back in the game. I quoted Brennan Manning to you early this morning. That guy was a mess. But you know, later in life, he was called to speak all over America, all over the world, because people can identify with a mess like us, right? We're all sinners, but God loves us. He's here today to rescue us. 
So go on and get back in the game. It's only half over. Amen. Father God, we love you so much. And Lord, I just have to say how grateful we are. Yes, we're sinners. We understand that. But when you took a look at us, you didn't see our sin as much as you saw the blood of your son. Blood that was sacrificed to pay the penalty for our sin. We know, Lord, by your word that we are forgiven. When we repent, Lord, you forgive us. So I just pray, Lord, for all of us here today, all of us that may have sinned in the last 24 hours or so, maybe in the last few minutes, Lord, forgive us our sins. Cleanse us anew with your righteousness. Make us white, pure as snow. And may we get back in the game, Lord, and start loving those folks all around us in our communities, in our workplaces, maybe even in our churches. Lord, give us a love and a wisdom from above to touch them with your love and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.